Hello and welcome to SME TV. I'm your host, Angela Vithoukas. Today's guest needs very little in the way of an introduction, except to say that he willingly swims with sharks and piranhas, but he's not an Irwin. He's a politician. Joining us today is Mark Latham, MLC. Welcome, Mark. Angela, great to be with you, and um, I hope SME TV is going fantastic. It's a, it's a it great uh, service to the community, I think, to try and help our small and medium-sized enterprises, you know, difficult times. So anything we can do to help them in job creation is critical. Thank you. And we, like many others, we launched right as COVID hit. So we, we had to learn to, to, to pivot, whatever that is, hence the Zoom world as well as the studio. The interesting thing, though, Mark, is, is the way that we've been welcomed by the SME community. I didn't okay. doubt it, but mm. I, I love what it's doing out there. And we, we just get to celebrate more businesses, but also, like this interview today, is put some real views and news forward, which they may not get in other mainstream medias. Fantastic. Sounds excellent. All right. Let's get straight into it. Um, I want to start with education, though, first, because I know that's been very dear to your heart for some years. Well, uh, we've got a big problem in our schools in that uh, uh, the international testing shows that New South Wales has the fastest falling student academic results in the world, uh, not just in Australia in the world. So, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big problem that we've got. And how do we turn that around? Um, I think one of the issues in the education system is there's not enough measurement. Um, schools aren't accountable enough for those results. Uh, principals really should be on performance-based contracts, get more money, but uh, contracts that hold them to account. And we need to do a lot in terms of uh, good, solid teacher training and professional development to upgrade the status and the skills of the teaching profession. So some, of these, some, of the, the, some of these things are happening in the private school sector, right, where teachers, principals, et cetera, are linked to performance? Uh, that's right, yeah. That's a reality in non-government schools. But if we're to take the teaching profession seriously as a profession and give it status, I mean, if you're running a government agency or you're running an important part of the public sector, you'll be on a performance-based contract where if you get a good performance, you'll get some more money in recognition of your achievement. And if you're a poor performer, uh, they wouldn't renew your contract. So uh, being a school principal is just as important. Uh, you're guiding the whole future of young people. And if uh, you're getting good results, you should be rewarded. If you're not, you need to find someone who can do a better job for the, the, the school kids. They only get one education, they need to get it right. That's right. And I think it's an essential reform. Mark, do you think with um, homeschooling and home learning, did that expose bigger cracks? Well, I think the, the homeschooling demonstrated just how difficult it was for, for parents uh, and it, it made the point that really is crucial. There's no substitute for face-to-face -face teaching. There's a lot of fad, uh, modernist type methods of, of teaching out there, even when the kids are in the classroom, group learning, project-based learning, but all the education evidence shows that direct instruction, uh, a teacher standing out the front of the classroom and teaching, inspiring, uh, directing, uh, drawing out of their students' knowledge and getting responses and feedback, that is by far the best way of getting results in the classroom. So uh, we need to do that as best we can. In the, in the school environment. And I think homeschooling just showed that direct instruction needs to be a permanent feature of our schools when the kids are in the classroom and, and hopefully they stay there through this uh, COVID period. And hopefully it's highlighted the need of having 
great teachers and it's showing us that having the right teachers in the right jobs in the right environment because those they're interconnected right if the schools are run well if the principals know what they're doing if their whole objective is to actually get better results for the kids then that's what we're going to get if it's treated like a bureaucratic position where it's a job for life regardless of how you perform that's when our kids suffer yeah, and, and what are we measuring? Oh, the, the core purpose of a school must be uh, improving academic growth, uh, lifting the results of students. But unfortunately, uh, one of the things that's crept into the education system is this notion of well-being, that it's not so much for the parents to guide uh, social values and ethics and morality. The school will do that under the banner of well-being. Well, uh, and the well-being is measured just by, you know, uh, parent and student satisfaction surveys. Well, that can be a real distraction. There's some real rubbish that comes into the classroom under that banner, we're better off getting to the basics of um, genuine education, academic achievement, uh, skills and qualifications that carry people into a, a good job. So the distraction of well-being, unfortunately, has weakened in many ways the core purpose of your average New South Wales government school. It's, it's a bit like when you give every kid on the team a trophy. Well, that too. Uh, there's some people who will say in the education club and fraternity that um, um, kids are under too much pressure, uh, too much stress, anxiety in the school because they've got to do a test. Well, being tested is an important part of life. And for the kids who, who, who rise to the occasion, being tested is a good thing because they can show their skills, their ability, the capacity, the things they've learned at the school. Testing is not automatically bad. Testing is part of life. And if you're not tested at school, a lot of kids are going to get a rude shock when they get into the workforce in particular, where testing, being tested, is a regular part of every workday. How, how can you measure what you know and what you don't know and your, your performance under those, under those conditions unless it is a test? I mean, there are, what, 80% of jobs out there are highly stressful. They are tested every day. They are measured in lots of different ways. If you're not conditioned to that and you should be conditioned, I mean, we went through that. We had to get tested at school. We had to sit exams. Those sort of things were everyday things. I don't remember any teacher asking me when I was in primary school if I was happy to be at school because I'm pretty sure I would have said no. Well, that's not really the point. The point no. of the school is to get a good qualification that's and right. get out and have a good job, lead a good life. But look at the way small business has been tested in this coronavirus environment. Yes. Now, if, if we wrap kids in cotton wool and say, look, there's no tests in life, everything's a rose garden, uh, we're not really developing the resilience in schools right. they need to be successful running a business or working for a business in the future. So I think it's a real false horizon and, uh, um, you know, a, a foolish thing to do to those kids to try and give them a, a false impression of what our society is really about. So thank you for that segue. Um, I'm going to jump straight into COVID here and the pandemic. Two words I'm hearing a lot, eradicate or suppress. Well, eradication is such a big goal. They tried this in New Zealand where basically everyone's under house arrest and you can't go anywhere for six weeks. Yep. And they had a 1.6% collapse in their GDP in the first quarter of the year. They got the um, virus down to a very low level, but huge economic cost. And then in the New Zealand system, two of the security guards let uh, two of the, um, um, the, 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 the quarantine uh, people out, overseas visitors, and, and, and they've got viruses back in New Zealand. So you can go for elimination of the virus, but it relies on 100% perfect human performance in quarantine and other health systems every day. 
uh, and New Zealand has shown you that a huge economic cost going down that path and one slip up means that the virus is back. So I think it's a dangerous thing to talk about elimination. It's got to be suppression measured against the capacity of the hospital system to cope. And right. for all the media hysteria, we need to understand that in New South Wales today, there's one person in intensive care with the virus, there's less than 30 around Australia, and there's 7,000 ICU beds. So the hospital system is not being overwhelmed. We don't need to panic. We don't need to put businesses out of, uh, the, you know, um, close them down and, 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 and run them out of town. We need to have a proper economy that's functioning with jobs being created. We need to avoid all the very, very negative health consequences of, of recession and long-term unemployment and get the balance right between the coronavirus-related health issues and the health issues that come out of economic well-being. So, okay, so let's touch on that then. What are we doing about recovery or, or building this resilience in the economy or being self-sufficient? Is, is there a plan moving forward that the New South Wales government has looked at or are we doing the same, same? Well, yesterday the uh, Premier announced an economic recovery plan. I think it had one fantastic element to it, and that is to streamline and fast-track the New South Wales government development approvals process. That Planning if you're a process. Person, you want to invest, you want to put your own money into a project that creates jobs in New South Wales, you shouldn't have bureaucrats and red tape standing in your way. So well done, Gladys, to at long last fast-track the New South Wales uh, development approval system. That's long overdue, a really important reform. Some of the other stuff, what you had to say about education, other things, it wasn't really all that substantial. And I'd like to see something about energy policy. How does New South Wales get a competitive advantage in the world economy? We need uh, lower energy prices, reliable energy. We should be a global energy superpower with flourishing coal, nuclear, gas, renewables uh, as well. And, and we should liberate the energy sector in New South Wales to give us that competitive advantage. So well done, Gladys, on development approvals. Now get stuck into the energy agenda. Interesting, though, along with those um, development approvals of, of wanting to reform the planning system is also giving some resources to local government to follow through on those. That would be an interesting case because I, I, you know, I know firsthand that, that often state government will bring down something, but there's no follow through on the other end. So people may still be feeling those, those bumps and those barriers, even though the state government has come out with one reflection of it. So I hope they follow well, through all the way. Well, we'll see what they do. But local government needs to be part of this fast-tracking mm -hmm. as well. You know, I looked at some of the figures about local planning panels in the southern part of New South Wales where they need jobs. Some projects hadn't had uh, an approval or, or rejection after 400 days before a local planning approval. Way, way too long. We can't afford that any longer. That's We're in recession. That's a different year, 400 days. It is, exactly. And, and, and that's why local government needs to have a look at what Gladys did and, and, and match it by streamlining and fast-tracking the system. That's right. The, the message needs to follow through to where those plans are actually lodged. So with the, the federal government has also come out um, in the last day to say that they're putting forward a money behind education and skills or training. Well, they have said that, but are, will we be training people for jobs that don't exist? Uh, you know, the Federal Treasurer has said um, that the real unemployment rate today, officially it's 7.4%, yep. but the real rate, once you factor in JobKeeper and people who've dropped out of the labour market participation, is 13%. It's absolutely massive. That's so isn't the first step, Angela, to get job creation going, policies for tax reform, labour market reform, capital works, energy sector, to generate and kickstart the Australian economy? And then the second step is if, if there's some jobs where people haven't got the skills 
put the training money in at that point. So I'm just thinking this is a case of, of, of cart before horse. We need to get the economy moving first, create the jobs. If you haven't got the jobs, you can spend a fortune on training, um, training people who are still unemployed. Mark, don't you think that the general public is starting to wake up or have already previously, but is starting to wake up to the fact that government of all kinds, and, and there's no need to discriminate against which political party, but government of all kinds sometimes come out with these big shows of something and as long as they put billions in front of it, it's made to look like there's a lot of effort. But if you peel back the layers, like you said, what are we, what are we training for? What are we trying to educate against? Have we identified where... You know, what's wrong with looking forward 10 years and saying, well, these industries are going to need the help. Let's intervene there. Yeah, spot on. And I'm disappointed with Scott Morrison because we're six months into the health emergency, six months of knowing that basically there's going to be a recession here. The Treasurer are talking about 13% unemployment and we haven't seen the federal government's jobs plan. Uh, where are the labour market reforms? He's got a good tax policy for three or four years from now. Bring it forward. Yep. And give people incentive to work. Get the tax man off their back. Uh, energy policy. Again, Australia should be a global energy superpower. These are all big things that, that, that we haven't got time to waste. And going down the training path now, I think there were bigger things to announce today. And the, and the Prime Minister needs a, a big announcement about job generation, Australia's competitive economic advantages. And until we get that, uh, we're going to continue to have a lot of problems for the private sector. Interesting, though, exactly what you said, that point where they've had months to come to terms and actually know the reality of what is bearing down on us, which is this new type of recession. They are, they are all knowing and all seeing of stuff behind closed doors, right? They know exactly what's going on. They know exactly what that economic impact might be. Okay, I won't say exactly, but they'd have a bloody good idea. So yeah, they their response Absolutely. to it all... Yeah. It can be said Scott Morrison's been busy managing the virus and he's done a good job there. But the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, and all that, you know, Treasury Department in Canberra have had six months to come up with a job creation plan to kickstart the Australian economy. So there are people in Canberra who haven't been doing the work. And unfortunately, Andrew, I've got to say, one of the Australian problems is that we've relied on big immigration numbers to pump up our economic growth. It's been a period of complacency. We haven't had any real significant economic reform in Australia since the time of the Howard government, and that's 14 years ago. Uh, I think this has been a big shock to the system, a culture shock, that the years of complacency are no longer sufficient, and it takes leadership. Uh, none of these things will happen because, you know, they drop onto your desk one day, something falls from the sky. It takes leadership, particularly from the Treasurer and the Prime Minister, to drive the new agenda, and so far we haven't seen it. So are we all holding great expectations for the 23rd? Well, hopefully, yeah. They've, they've really got to have a plan, uh, make sure it's significant. I think the Australian people would embrace reform. Maybe over the last 14 years there hasn't been much economic reform because no. politicians are scared of it. But now is the time where the public think jobs are so important. Uh, everyone knows someone who's lost their job. Everyone knows probably at least several people who've lost their job or they're on JobKeeper in this difficult time. So the public will support reform as long as it's, it's, it's thought through, it's sensible, it's got a good purpose for growing our economy, bringing down the unemployment rate. So now's the time to strike. And, and the federal government, after six months, I think the, 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 you can genuinely say you've had enough time now. And on the 23rd, this economic plan, it needs to be really significant to boost up our country's future. And having a plan that works gives immediate confidence to the, the business sector. People and need confidence. That's where the consumer and the consumer confidence is down because people know that 
they've either lost their job, they've got the potential of losing their job, plus there's so much unsure about the market and the world moving forward that even if you think you've got a good job, you know that it could be a 50-50 on any given day and they know how tough it is to exist on anything that looks like job seeker or job keeper because let's, let's not assume that job keepers you know, exactly the, the medicine to fix every problem. Not everyone could get it. Yeah. You know, there were big organisations that couldn't get it, so their people, they've lost jobs or they will, they're on notice for it. You can look at big airlines, you know, Virgin. There is so much more negative about to happen, Mark, that the scary thing is that, you know, you use the word leadership. I want to use the word leadership. The disappointing thing, though, is there's no evidence of that leadership, Mark. Uh, well, we need it quickly and businesses need uh, new reasons to invest because obviously this environment is unprecedented, it's very negative, but companies need a new reason to invest and if they heard from the federal government through IR changes, it's going to be easier to employ someone yep. or my taxes are going to be lower, my energy prices will be lower or there's going to be public works, capital works, employing people and more people will come into my shop to buy a product because they've got a job. All of that would boost business confidence and, and that's what we desperately need at the moment. Do you think they, I mean, you look at New South Wales, we've still got retained our AAA credit rating. Is that something that we need to keep in mind and not be worried about or should we be investing yeah, more or not? I don't, I don't think uh, our position with global financial markets is, is, is top of mind at the moment. Uh, all the budgets, federal, already gone into massive deficit. New South Wales will have a deficit budget by the end of the year, no doubt about it. We just That's a reality, and, and for the money that you're borrowing to fund the deficit, it's how you use the borrowed money to maximise the number of jobs being created. Yeah. Every single dollar the government spends has got to be about job creation and business confidence. And a lot of the, 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 the wasteful programs, the social, the do-gooder, the virtue signalling programs have got to go out the window because there's no greater crime against young people in particular that they're on long-term unemployment. They lose hope, they lose role models, they lose direction in life. And unemployment's a dreadful thing. Suicide rate goes up, uh, drug and, 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 and alcohol Domestic dependency. Domestic violence, yep. Domestic family and community breakdown. You know, I, I'm old enough to remember the bad recession in the early 90s. It's a horrible thing. I saw it in southwest Sydney and I never want to see it again. So the faster we can get out of this with a new economic plan, the better. So in terms of the economic plan and in terms of how governments right around Australia, whether they're state or the federal one, how they've reacted to the pandemic itself, do you think New South Wales has done enough or is going to do enough for the economy to help New South Wales or is it strictly more the ball in the court of federal governments? Well, it's mainly federal. The, the national economy is a national responsibility and, uh, you know, we've discussed the things that Scott Morrison and Josh Frydenberg need to be doing. And hopefully we'll see that see that soon. The state government role is about energy price. I think more could be done in that area. Uh, about well, that, uh, that wasn't in the plan yesterday. No, no, disappointing. Um, I would argue that many of the bans on economic activity in New South Wales should be lifted. Uh, the ban on coal seam gas, the ban on uranium mining, the ban on nuclear power. You know, we've banned a lot of energy sectors. And we pay a big price for that. You can't put 100% of the eggs in the renewables basket. You should have all the sectors flourishing. It creates jobs. It drives down energy prices. And it gives energy security, particularly for manufacturing industry. Especially, especially so right now when people are suffering, having those energy bills that yeah, you know, are, have, are putting people out of business. Yeah. 
So good to see fast tracking of the planning system and development approval, but energy sector is the next big one to get right here in New South Wales. So, you know, these are things that won't go away. They're pressing. Uh, as I said earlier, I think the public mood is to support sensible reform uh, if it generates jobs and makes our economy more competitive. And for the business sector, uh, a lot of these things have been argued about for a long, long while. Now's the time to do them. Just before we wrap up and go, how are you enjoying uh, your re-entry into the formal world of politics? Well, yeah, it's been good. Um, it's, it's, it's been a very uh, varied and interesting workload. You know, I've been working on everything from media commentary about federal politics where I used to be to working on the education system in New South Wales. We end up in the Hunter Valley at Newcastle trying to reignite their nighttime economy, tourism and, and jobs. Uh, so I feel like I'm making a, a useful contribution. I've got the balance of power in the upper house. We've used that in, in, in a pretty responsible way and tried to contribute a lot of policy ideas to make New South Wales a better place. So we're not obstruct obstructionist. We're trying to develop and urge on a positive policy agenda, as you've heard from me here today. So, yeah, so far it's all been good. But I do know, Angela, in politics, it can be sunny one day. <laughs> and dreadfully windy and dismal and rainy the next. So you've got to make every good day a winner. The, tor the tornado that can rain down certainly sweeps up and, and takes indiscriminately others in its wake. I, I, yep. I hear you. I hear you on that. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time as usual, not only for you making the time, but addressing some of those pressing issues and, and highlighting, yeah. in fact, that if we don't have job creation and we don't look at how businesses can gain confidence, and those are, you know, 80% of us are SMEs that contribute to this economy. If we don't have the confidence to move forward, we're not going to be able to rebuild or be resilient moving forward. And thank you for yeah. acknowledging that for us. Well, thanks for having me and, and, and all the best with the show. And can I say to the business people, you know, thank you for the contribution you've, you've made. Yes. We've always acknowledged the emergency service workers. They've been fantastic. But for every business that's kept the doors open and against the odds, uh, tried to employ a few people and, and, and make our communities and economy stronger. You're doing a fantastic job and it, it, it's really appreciated. And we need people in government like you, Mark, to make sure that we keep getting appreciated. Yeah, well, I'll do my best. Thanks again. Thanks, Mark.